This week, we are in the second week of a series that we started last week called Nameless, where we are going to spend a little bit of time looking at the stories of nameless women across the scriptures. We talked last week about how we as a culture put a great deal of effort into what we're going to call someone or some thing. And we see this all over the place, right? I mean, we name towns and streets, and we name our children, and we're very intentional about that. Uh, some people care a lot about what they name their pets. I know that was a big decision for me and my wife, even though we ended up going with a name that a fourth grader recommended, and we, we haven't looked back since. We think Doc is a great dog name. We even do this about what we name a product or a service, right? I mean, names matter for us, and we spend a great deal of time trying to decide what we're going to call something or someone. Sometimes we name bridges and streets after people who have made a big impact in that place or on that community so that their legacy can be remembered by their name not being forgotten, right? I mean, names are important, and it's the exact same way in Scripture, Names carry weight and meaning in our Bibles, and oftentimes they really contribute to the story. And if you don't know the meaning of a name, you're going to miss part of what the storyteller is trying to tell you in the Scriptures. I shared a few examples of that with you last week, and I'm going to share a few different examples of that with you this week. When Abram and Sarai, before their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah, when Abram and Sarai were told in their old age that they were going to have a baby, that Sarai was going to have a son, they burst into laughter. So years later, when they finally had their son, they named him Isaac, which means laughter, right? I mean, it's like a joke that's worked into the story. They laughed and then they had a son named Laughter. Jacob, the patriarch in Genesis, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel after he spends a whole night wrestling with God. What do you think the name Israel means? wrestles with God, right? I mean, it's right there. You can't miss it. And once you know it, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Of course his name was changed to Israel. King David was by far the most renowned and the most successful king during the time of the monarchy for Israel. And the name David means beloved. Or another way to look at it would be the name David means favorite, Because he was the favorite. So from the very beginning of David's story in scripture, if you know the meaning of his name, you know that this is probably going to turn out really well for the people who are on the side of David. And despite the importance of names in scripture, a lot of people are not named. They are left nameless especially many of the women in Scripture who I think really end up having a pretty major impact on the story that we are told. And so in this series, I wanted us to just spend some time looking at who I think are some of the most impactful women in our Bibles who for some reason we never learn their name. Last week, we were in the Gospel of Mark, and we talked about the bleeding woman that reaches out to Jesus, trusting that if she can, if she can just touch the fringes of Jesus' cloak, that she will be healed. And this week, we're going to jump all the way back to Genesis, and we're going to look at the story of Lot's wife. Lot was Abraham's nephew. 
And he and his family, his wife and his children, they lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the scripture tells us that this region was just consumed by evil for all sorts of reasons. The people were selfish, they were hedonistic, and most notably, they were known for being incredibly violent. In fact, just before our story that we're actually going to look at, the moment that we're going to look at just before that, some of the people in this town, they tried to attack and assault angels that were coming to visit Lot at Lot's house. I mean, that's how bad things were in this city at this time, that the people were trying to attack and kill angels that had come to bring a message from God to Lot and his family. And so, in Genesis 19, those angels, they tell Lot that he and his family, that they should run away from the city. Because soon, these cities were going to be overthrown by God, and they were going to be destroyed. And in verse 15, this is what the angels say to Lot. Flee for your life. Do not look behind you. It's a key detail right there. Don't look behind you when you're running away, nor stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the hills or you will be swept away. And then just a few verses later, the angel's warning comes true. And that's our scripture for today. It's Genesis 19 verses 23 through 26. Let's read it together. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. So Lot makes it to safety. He escapes the city without a scratch. He knows how to follow directions. But his wife, who is behind him for some reason, she, uh, she's not so lucky. And so I don't think this really paints the best picture on Lot. I think that's worth saying. It looks like he just ran ahead and left his wife, which I don't think is like a super cool move on his part. I just want to make sure Madison hears me say that. I, I don't approve of that behavior from Lot. But it's also really not surprising if you remember the rest of Lot's story. Lot was definitely an every man for himself kind of guy. And we see that especially if we were to look back at chapter 13 and see the moment that Abraham and Lot separated and decided they needed to go their separate ways. Lot was given a choice and he took the land of milk and honey, leaving Abraham with, with desert land, clearly having no problem claiming the best for himself. But anyway, right, as Lot is fleeing and as Lot's wife is stuck behind him, we see her make a decision that we as the reader are almost screaming that she shouldn't do. And if you're honest, when you read that scripture that comes just before and the angel say specifically, don't look back, you kind of know that when they're running away, someone is going to what? They're going to look back. And it ends up being Lot's wife. She looks back. And I think it's in that that really simple decision that we see her make that we find the lesson for us in the scripture today, all wrapped around the choice that she made to look back. 
But here's the thing, and, and I think we really need to be clear about this to kind of understand what is actually happening here in this moment with her. She didn't just look back out of, out of curiosity. She wasn't just trying to, to sneak a peek at the flames and the destruction, knowing that she would probably never see flames as high before ever again in her life. I don't think that's what she's actually doing here. And the reason I say that is because of the Hebrew that's under this moment. The word that is used in the scripture when it says that she looked back is the Hebrew word navat. And navat, right, it can be translated as look back, but all of the other translations lead you to believe that there's probably something else going on here. It can also be translated as to desire something. It can mean to long for something that has been lost or to regard something as favorable. So I think if we're honest with ourselves, it seems like Lot's wife is doing more than just looking back. It seems to me that she wanted to go back. That even as the cities were being destroyed, she was longing for for her old life. Maybe it's because she was stuck in her sin, or maybe it's because she wanted to go back to where things were comfortable, or she was craving what was familiar, and she was afraid to lose it. But for some reason, she was stuck in her past. And as much as we would like to shake our head and to shame her for what she does, knowing that she did the one thing that the angels told them that they should not be doing, I mean, come on, guys, this is a mistake that's super common for all of us. Isn't it? I mean, most of us, even if we pull ourselves out of it, right, we have known someone who has been stuck in the past. And we can see it as clear as day, but for some reason, they are just blind to it. I'm not especially proud of this, but the first person that popped in my head when I started thinking about this was was Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) How many of y'all have seen that movie, right? I almost played a clip from the movie, but I demonstrated self-control and decided that we weren't going to do that. If you've ever seen the movie, then, then you get it. If you haven't, it's kind of a hard movie to describe. It's a, it's a strange, low-budget, kind of cult comedy classic that came out, like, I think around 2010 or 2009. The movie's hard to describe, but Uncle Rico is a simple character in the plotline. Uncle Rico is a man who appears to be somewhere in his mid-50s who is desperately trying to relive his glory days. There's one scene in particular that if I could have shown a scene, I think I would have shown this one. And he's sitting on the steps of his house with his nephew Kip, and he's looking at the mountains that are in the distance, and he turns to Kip and he says, Kip, I could throw a football over those mountains. And then he launches into the, the dialogue that you see coming from him throughout the movie about how if his high school coach had just put him in at quarterback in the state championship game, then they would have been state champions. And not only that, but if his high school coach had done that, then he would have gone pro, he would be rich, and he'd be sitting in a hot tub with his wife, right, without a care in the world. He is convinced that if he could just go back, if it would just have gone a little bit differently, that his whole life would be different. And it's the only thing he thinks about. It's all-consuming, so much so that later in the movie, he buys a time machine online 
thinking that it will help him go back so that what can happen? So that his high school coach will put him in at quarterback in the state championship game so they can win state and then he can go pro, right? I mean, you see it. It's what's driving his whole life. Now, you may not be on that level. I'm not on that level personally. But my guess is that if you're honest with yourself, you can catch yourself novating pretty often. You can catch yourself looking back and being stuck in the past. Because we look back all the time, don't we? I mean, we look back out of regret. We look back out of shame. We look back out of guilt. We catch ourselves playing that same what-if game. What if things had gone differently? What if we hadn't have said that? Or what if we had said that? We do this out of grief and pain as well. We do this when we miss someone or we miss something and we allow that grief and that hurt. If we look back for too long, we allow it to what? To root us in the past, to ground us so that we can't go anywhere else except where we're allowing ourselves to be stuck. And the point is that I want you to see is that if we're honest with ourselves, it's pretty easy for us to become pillars of salt too. Stranded somewhere, useless in the desert. I think it's easy for us too to get to get stuck in the past and then to let that define our present. But that's not what we're called to do. I mean, like last week we looked at the story of the bleeding woman and the whole thing was we're supposed to be like this woman. Well, the whole thing this week is that we're not supposed to be like Lot's wife. We're not supposed to make the same choices that we see her make. We're not supposed to catch ourselves looking back and ending up stuck in the past. Instead, we're called to look forward. I mean, we can always find an excuse to stay stuck in our past, can't we? I mean, we can always find a reason to look back and become pillars of salt, but that's not what we're called to do as we live a life that we seek to walk with Christ. And I think we see that crystal clear when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. I mean, he had every reason in the world to be stuck in his past. He had every reason to look back and have regrets. He had plenty of reasons to miss his old life. I mean, remember for Paul, right? At one point in his life, he had a well-paying, highly respected job. He made good money, people knew his name, and he could kind of do whatever he wanted within the Roman Empire, and especially within the Jewish faith tradition. And later on, when he was suffering in a jail cell for the sake of Christ, jumping from jail to jail, being persecuted when he was shipwrecked, when he was hungry, and when he was hurting, he could have what? He could have looked back. I mean, also remember part of Paul's story is that at one time, he was the one persecuting Christians. I mean, Paul calls himself a man of violence, saying that he was the worst of the worst. I mean, he could have looked back and felt ashamed about that and let that shame define him, allowing him to be stuck in the past and never really believing that he was able to go on and do what God was calling him to do because of his, because of his past. But he didn't. That's... That's not his story. He didn't spend his time yearning for the comforts of his old life. He didn't let his past mistakes freeze him in place and make him like a pillar of salt because he knew and he believed that Christ had given him a new life 
and a new mission. And so until the day that he died, that's what he pursued. That mission to plant churches and to grow the gospel, right? To make disciples for Jesus Christ, to live out that great commission that we are too all charged with. He was a man who didn't look back, but instead moved forward. And I think we see this in Philippians 3, and I just want to read a little bit of it for you. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. I, Paul, press on toward the goal, toward the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. That was who Paul was. That was how he lived his life. Paul pressed on, and that is the calling that is upon our life, for us to press on in that same way, for us to move forward, for us to forget what lies behind as we strain toward what lies ahead. Because we too can get stuck in the past and look back and and get stuck in our glory days or allow our past failures to freeze us. Or, right, I mean, it's a choice for us, right? We can do that. Or we can move forward toward whatever it is that God is calling us to next, to whatever mission that he has for us. To be fair, I don't, I don't know what was going through Lot's wife's head when she decided to look back. Maybe it was out of fear. Maybe, maybe she was afraid that she wasn't going to be able to make it in a new place. Maybe she was yearning for that life of sin that she knew she was having to leave behind because the, the city was being destroyed. But whatever it was, the point is she looked back. I mean, she allowed that to to, to pull her into the past so that it really didn't even matter what God had for her next. She didn't put herself in a position where she could even come close to receive it. And I really do believe that her story is, is a warning to us. I mean, the only other time that she is mentioned in Scripture is by Jesus In the Gospel of Luke, this is what Jesus says about Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Those who try to make their life secure will lose it. But those who lose their life will keep it. Jesus says, don't look back and try and secure your life. Trust me and move forward instead. I mean, the truth for us today is that Jesus didn't die for us so that we could be stuck in our past. I mean, Jesus didn't do what he did for us so that we would spend our days on earth looking back at the past, at our mistakes and at our failures, or learning for the good old days and and not open to what God has for us next. I think Jesus died for us so that we would be free from that. So that we would be free from our past and free from our sin and free from our shame and free from anything that would turn us into someone who looks like Uncle Rico or a useless pillar of salt. I mean, I think Jesus did what he did for us so that we could be a people who are moving forward. And maybe you're listening to me go on and on about this today and you're thinking, Ross, look, you don't know where I've been. Or maybe you're thinking, Ross, you don't, you don't know what I've done. There's no way that God has something new for me next in my life. My identity has already been made. I've, I've already made the decisions that has made me who I am. Or maybe for some reason you're completely convinced that your best days are behind you and it's all downhill from here. That your pastor prime for whatever reason. Or maybe you think that you aren't useful to the kingdom of God anymore. And if that's you today... 
I hope that you'll choose to make the decision that Lot's wife didn't. I hope that you'll stop looking back. And I hope that you'll trust God enough to begin to move forward. I hope you will know and and be reminded that as long as you have breath in your lungs, I believe that Jesus has something new for you. All you have to do is ask yourself the question, what's next? Where is it that God is calling me? What's next for your marriage? What's next for your family? What's next for our church? What's next for my individual mission or my calling that I believe God has placed on my life? What is the next way that I can love like I know Jesus loves in the scriptures and like I know Jesus loves me now? Whatever it is, my hope is that you would make that choice, even if it starts small, right? And begin to move forward with God instead of looking back so that one day we might end up like the apostle paul and we we wouldn't just be looking forward we would be straining forward trusting what god has for us next because again look we can choose to be pillars of salt we can choose to live our life like we see uncle rico live his life we can choose to look back and be stuck And allow that to ground us and lock us in to the past. Or we can be a people who take Jesus' advice. We can be a people who are trying to be like the Apostle Paul. We can be a people who are doing everything that we can to to try and move forward. Trusting whatever it is that God's future has to hold for us. Putting one foot in front of the other, trusting that God is with us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.